0: Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We continue on in our study of Revelation. Get your Bible. We've had a little hiatus here from last week. We are in Revelation chapter 6 tonight. We take another step into the prophecy of the book of Revelation. I remind you that we are going to struggle in studying and understanding this great book of the Bible. And I cannot promise you that at the end of this study that we will understand every word. However, bear in mind that this book says that if it is read by us, And if we open it together, chapter 1, verse 3, we will be blessed. We may not understand every bit of the symbolism and every word of revelation, but we're going to be blessed because we're opening this great book of the Bible together. Now, this is the one specific book of the Bible that tells us we will be blessed as we read it. Together, as we study it together. But I believe that that promise is true throughout God's Word, that no matter where you may study within the Word, we are going to be blessed. Also, I remind you that there are three major divisions in this book of the Bible. The first part is chapter one, it is uh, John the Apostle's uh, vision and seeing of Jesus Christ, the risen, reigning, resplendent King of heaven. Of course, John the disciple saw him uh, in peasant's clothing. He saw him uh, as a poor man. He saw him as a man who didn't even have a home on this earth. And yet, when he sees him in heaven, he sees a completely different picture, a different vision of Jesus Christ, the one he knew so well years before. The second part of Revelation Is In chapters 2 and 3, John is instructed as Jesus' secretary to pen seven letters to send to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we have studied those letters one by one. The third part of the book of Revelation begins in chapter 4. It is a major transition within the book in that this is God's prophecy of the end of this old world. And I believe as chapter 4 commences that the church is raptured out of this world and as the great tribulation is coming, the church is no longer on the soil of the earth but has been raptured uh, to heaven. Christians have been taken off the world scene and are now in heaven with the Lord before the great tribulation begins. Uh, The reason that I believe that the church is not here as Revelation chapter 4 begins is through the end of the book, you will notice that while the word church is used uh, in those first three chapters, when chapter 4 begins, the word church never appears again in the book. So I believe that as uh, chapter 4 commences, the church is off of the earthly scene. Uh, And of course, as the great tribulation begins, one of the reasons that we as Christians believe that this wrath is poured upon the earth is because the salt of the earth has been taken out. So, the rapture of the church extracts the salt, the preservative, out of the earth, and the next phase of God's judgment can take place because the church is no longer here. The salt is out, and the rot and the destruction begins. So, when you and I reach this point of prophecy, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, We're not going to be here. We're going to be seeing this from the other side. Now, we've already studied chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. The Apostle John sees an awesome heavenly scene. God is being worshiped by four heavenly creatures, living creatures, and 24 elders. Though we don't know exactly who the 24 elders are, it is said that perhaps they are the 12 disciples of the Lord uh, from the New Testament age and 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament age. Uh, as you remember, God holds in his mighty hand the scroll of universal ownership of the world and all that's around us and no one in heaven has the authority or the right or the power to open this scroll it is sealed it is in the hand of God and no one can even so much as touch it and I remind you once again think about all of the residents of heaven from Moses to Saint Paul are there But no one has the authority to open the scroll that is in God's hand except one. And this one is the central figure of heaven. He is the central figure of the heavenly worship. And in the book of Revelation, he is the central figure. That's why revelation is not in the plural. This is the revelation of of one central figure it is the lamb of god it is jesus the christ the son of god now uh, as we go through your uh, your little questions that you have before you you might find a question here uh, as the lamb comes to god the father and takes the scroll a mighty chorus of praise breaks forth and the elders and the living creatures sing a new song of god's redemption and the throne is surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000, uh, myriad upon myriad of angels, and all are chanting and speaking God's glory by saying, "Worthy is the Lamb." who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We cannot even begin to imagine the magnitude of the praise that's going on as all of these myriads of angels are speaking and shouting the praise of God and as all of heaven is worshiping the Lamb of God. Now, at that point, here's the situation. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has taken the scroll from the very hand of God the Father. The the, the church is taken out of the world, so left behind now. As we think about this old world with the church gone, left behind is the sin and the degradation and the immorality and the hostility and the callous attitudes uh, toward the Lord God Almighty. It's a sad place. And as Jesus breaks each one of the seven seals, basically think about the scroll. Yeah, from from uh, Sunday school, you know what a scroll looks like. It's, it's rolled up. And as, as it's unrolled, as you unroll, you break a seal. Then you unroll a little more, you come to another seal. You break that seal. Unroll a little more, you'll come to another seal. Break that seal. So it's unrolled, and, we, and Jesus comes to seal by seal that seal. That, uh, uh, seals this scroll together. So Jesus is going to break each one of these seven seals on the scroll and as he breaks the seals then one great tribulation is issued or poured out upon the earth. So God's wrath now is being unleashed against sin. This is a major turning point in the book of Revelation. Perhaps as we uh, announced that we were going to study the book of Revelation, this is what you thought about. Okay, we're going to study the tribulations of the world and what happens and the end times. So here we are. This may be the beginning of what you really came for. We studied the, the vision of Jesus, the letters to the churches, but here we are now beginning studying the great tribulation that will come upon this earth. This earth has never seen anything like this. It is yet to come, and it's a horrific time for the earth. But God's wrath is being unleashed against sin. So as chapter 6 commences, we see the beginning of the seven phases of the great tribulation upon the earth. Now tonight we're going to study the four horsemen of the great tribulation. That's on your sheet. The four horsemen of the great tribulation. These are the first four Great tribulations that are poured out upon the earth. And so we're going tonight to look at chapter 6 of Revelation, verses 1 through 8. So if you would take your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, and we will start with the very first verse of the chapter. So as Jesus the Christ, the Lamb of God, scroll in hand starts on breaking the breaking the seals and unrolling the scroll this is what he sees and this is what happens and of course this is written as a first-hand account by the apostle john he is the one writing the book and i saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see and i saw and behold a white horse and he that sat On him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. May God add his blessing the reading of this powerful portion of his mighty word. Now as we begin thinking about the great tribulation tonight, I want you to think about all the wars, all the atrocities, all the annihilations, uh, the holocausts that have taken place on this earth. The worst that we can think of our history behind us will be nothing like the history that is before us as we see it right here in this revelation of the Lord. So now Jesus breaks the first seal of the scroll, uh, and this reveals the first tribulation that is going to be poured out as punishment against sin upon the world. As the seal is broken, one of the four living creatures calls, Come and see. And to the Apostle John, that word sounds like thunder. A storm of punishment is about to break out. And it's a beginning right now. Through the seven seals, through the outpouring of God's wrath, this is the beginning of the great storm upon the earth as God unleashes it. As the first seal is broken, a white horse rides out. And Revelation says that the rider on a horse has a bow, a crown is given to him, and he rides out as a conqueror. He rides out to conquer. Who is the rider of that horse? The rider is the Antichrist, the one who is going to be a central figure of Satan throughout the days of the tribulation, the evil earthly opposite of the heavenly holy Lord. You will notice that it says he holds a bow, but it does not say he holds arrows. And basically what that means is this, according to the the, the theology of many that I've studied through this week. He has a bow, but he doesn't have arrows, meaning he's not going to be one who goes into bloodshed. He's going to conquer uh, through smooth words. He's going to conquer uh, through manipulation of the government. It's not going to be by bloodshed. He holds a bow, which... Signifies power, but not arrows, which means there will be no bloodshed in the way that he conquers. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, A sign of earthly power. You remember while the Antichrist holds a bow, Jesus Christ holds a sword. Now, on the Antichrist's head, there is a crown. Notice that it says God gives to him the crown. It is a crown that God allows him to have. So it is by God's permission that the Antichrist gains uh, dominion on the earth. And it says that the Antichrist rides out to conquer the world... ...and he is going to be the last earthly dictator before this world comes to an end. Now I have heard it said that the Antichrist may very well be living today. He may be among us, not yet revealed... In fact, we know that he's not revealed because before he's revealed, the church is out of here. It possibly could be that he is alive this day. uh, But he will not be revealed to the earth as the Antichrist until the church is gone. Um, So it could be true. But when the Antichrist does make his appearance on this earthly scene, we know that we're going to be on the other side. As he rides out to bring tribulation to the earth... Jesus then breaks the second seal uh, of the scroll. A living creature says, Come and see, and a rider on a bright red horse appears. Now red is the symbol of war. Red is the symbol of bloodshed. You will notice that this rider carries a sword of destruction. Let me also say that as you look at the, the definition and the Greek background of the sword that Jesus carries, the sword that this rider carries is quite different. This is a sword of complete destruction. It's, it's more of a dagger. It's more of what they would, a murderer would use in that day. Quite different from the sword that we will study as Jesus carries a sword. This is a sword of a simple murderer. It says here that people are killing one another, that the world is divided by a spirit of hatred, that brother will be against brother, that father will be against son, that families will be turned against children and one another. So the red horse and this rider brings division and war to the world. As the red horse of war leaves the scene or stands to the side of the scene, Jesus then breaks The third seal of these great tribulations of the scroll. A living creature says, Come and see, and a rider on a black horse then appears. You will notice as you read the scripture that this rider has a balance or a set of scales, that simple set of scales, just the two pans that are on a balance, and you weigh out things on that scale. That's the balance that this rider is carrying. Uh, Look at verse 6. Revelation 6, verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Those scales, first of all, stand for food rationing, weighing out food. It stands for hunger, it stands for starvation. So, we see a picture of the Antichrist ruling the world, and war has broken out, and war has drained the world of its food supply, and people are dying of starvation. Hatred is running amok on the world, and, and of course, starvation is a result of the wars that are going on. The price of food is almost out of reach. Remember now, we're talking about a day ahead of us price of food is almost out of reach in biblical terms when it talks about a portion of food for a penny basically what this scripture is saying is one person will be able to eat one meal on one day's wage you work all day so you can buy one meal that's how serious the world's economy is that's how serious the world's shortage of food is You know, we help world hunger with our ministry, but the hunger of the world today, as bad as it is, and as much as we hear about it, will be nothing in comparison to the hunger within the great tribulation. You'll also notice that it says in verse 6 Hurt not the oil or wine. These commodities, which are staples of the diet, staples of eating, they are available. But they are in very short supply. Protect your supply of the staples because they're very hard to come by. Be sure that everything is protected to go as far as it possibly can. Now, as the black horse of starvation steps to the side, departs from the scene, the fourth seal of the great scroll is broken. A living creature says, come and see, and a pale horse appears. The rider On this horse also has a name, and the rider on this horse is called Death. And in the wake of this pale horse's hoofprints, Hades, Hell is following closely behind to receive all those who are dying in the wake of this horse galloping as Death is traveling. Now, the word "pale" here in the Greek uh, has a special name, and you can hear it in the name. The Greek word for the pale horse is chloros. Chlorophyll is green. So chloros is this pale, ugly, greenish-yellow color of rottenness, uh, of death. It points to decay. It, It points to abscess. It's a very, very ugly color. So death is riding out, and here's the picture. As a result of these four horsemen and these first four great tribulations, the ruler is the Antichrist. Division of war, people not getting along is rampant on the earth. There is the devastation of starvation and hunger. There is coming death bringing forth catastrophic events on the face of the earth. And according to this prophecy, within these four first uh, portions of the great tribulation, four out of seven, they seem to move very quickly here. As we get to the uh, latter tribulations, they take longer to go through. But in these first four tribulations, it says in Scripture that 25% of the population of the earth is going to be lost. That's an amazing thing. But if you look at the very last verse that we study, verse 8, talking about the pale horse, on him is death, uh, given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, with the beasts of the earth. So 25% of the earth's population is going to be lost in these first uh, four segments of the great tribulation. Uh, death is going to receive the bodies. Hell is going to receive the souls. This is a very, very dark picture. I think as I read the scripture, you could feel the darkness of the picture as the great horsemen come forth. Do you know what Jesus says about this time in history? If you want to see a sister passage... Connect it with the great tribulation. Connect it with Revelation chapter 6 forward. Read Matthew chapter 24. That's the sister passage to these passages of the great tribulation. In Matthew 24 verse 21 Jesus Christ says, There will be a great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No nor ever shall be. Here's what we need to remember tonight. God is absolutely a loving God. But perfectly balanced with His love is righteousness and judgment. He is a God of love, but He's not a sappy old grandpa. He is a God of love balanced with a God of judgment and righteousness. Now, the best news for you and for me tonight, child of God, is that we're going to leave all this mess behind. But according to Revelation chapter 6 forward, God is going to take care of sin that has not been forgiven. He will not endure uh, the sin that's going on in the world and the sin that's going to continue before us and I want to tell you, I just believe that truly as we see this dark time of the, of the world coming, we can be at peace because we know we won't be here in that. God is not going to allow his children to go through wrath such as this. I want to tell you about the best thing that happened to me between the 10th grade and the 11th grade in high school. You know, once you reach the 11th grade, you no longer have to take gym class. That was the best thing that happened to me in those years. Uh, because Now, it's not that I minded gym class. I didn't mind gym class whatsoever. But I hated the locker rooms after gym class. Uh, I, I can still smell sweaty socks. Uh, I can still see those showers that I hated. I can still hear... Uh, those guys asking usually about two of us out of 25 had a can of deodorant so you you, you lost your can of deodorant and it got passed around and when it came back to you it was empty I hated the locker rooms uh, it always irked me uh, of all the stuff that went on there so I have this vivid memory of when the last day of the 10th grade came I went no more gym class that is over, and I am glad I'll never take those classes again. I have a memory of celebrating the fact that I wouldn't have. Sorry, John Coots, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> but tonight, we have a real reason to celebrate. And we have a real reason to have peace and praise because we're not going to endure these punishments that we're studying right now. We're not going to endure the wrath and the devastation of the great tribulation. We're going to be able to walk away from the church tonight saying, Lord, praise God, you're not going to have your children go through this. But we're going to be drawn out of this before it ever begins. So we can be free of worry. However... While we might be free of personal worry, I imagine we're not free of concern for some other people who are around us, those who are not saved, those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We might be personally free of worry, but we should be concerned for the lost. Because if the Lord Jesus were to take the church home tonight or sometime very soon, those are going to be left behind. It could be a mother or a father or one of our children Or someone who is very close or a dear friend, someone we've loved all of our life. If Jesus were to take his church out of this world very soon, that one that you love is going to be left here. Is going to be left to endure what we're studying. So we should have a passion to take a busload with us to heaven. We should have a passion as individuals and as a church to share the good news of the living Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot, as a church, keep this good news to ourselves. We don't want anyone to go through this devastation. We have a, a holy commission to be witnesses in the world. I like the way one of those ladies had it on the video screen tonight where she said, I am a wife and I am a mother, but first of all, I am a spreader of the gospel. You remember her saying that? I like that term. I'm a spreader of the gospel, and that's exactly what you and I should be. So our task right now is not to languish around and say, well, Lord, I'm in peace because I'm not going to go through this. That is true, and we are to have that peace, but rather we're to be working for the Lord and sharing a Savior with those who do not know him. We are called to draw the lost to the Lord. So tonight, who will we invite to come to the church with us this coming Sunday. Who are we going to reach out to in Jesus' name? This is our week to do something in response to the Savior who gave himself for us. Tonight, though I think I know every face in this room, we never take for granted that there might be one person here who has never truly come to the Lord Jesus as Savior. If someone in this place tonight or maybe someone who'll get a copy of the CD of this lesson tonight will hear this invitation that if you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, He took the ultimate step to assure you that you won't have to go through this, that you won't have to endure these punishments and this wrath of God. God wants you as His very own. He wants to receive you as His son or His daughter And that comes through Jesus who went to the cross for you, the Lamb of God. You will notice as we studied the Lamb on earlier in the book of Revelation that it says He appeared as a Lamb that had been mortally wounded, had been slain. That Lamb is the Lamb Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who was mortally wounded and died on the old rugged cross. And He did it for me, and He did it for you. He took our sin on His own shoulders and His own body, and He bore the punishment for my sin and your sin on the old rugged cross so that tonight or when you hear this lesson, you can say, Yes, Lord, I believe that You gave Yourself that I might be freed of sin, that I might be freed of God's wrath, and that I might belong to You, and that I will be Your precious son or daughter for all the eons of time to come. There is a key to it all. You have to say, Yes. You have to say, I believe and I accept. That is the great dividing line between heaven and hell. And lostness and being saved is simply saying, Lord, I believe you did it for me. I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. I am sorry for my sin. I come in repentance, but I accept you as my Savior. That is the dividing line. He did it all for you and me, but we have to say yes to him. Tonight, if there's someone here who needs to say yes, he's waiting for you. If you're listening to this lesson by CD, whenever you hear it, the invitation is for you to simply say, Lord, here is my life. But believers, as we close this lesson tonight, our commitment together is that while we're at peace, that we're not going to go through this, there's someone in our life, short of intervention and salvation by Jesus, who quite possibly will, and we need to reach that one.